It's the flicker of a fire on the horizon in a freezing wasteland at night. A voice on the wind carrying a tune from a far-off country. air pressure changes and we say, it smells like rain, and the clouds start to churn and soon the drought will be over. That's what hope is like. It's that persistent tug in your soul that whispers, everything said is coming untrue. Just around the corner there's something good. It takes courage to believe that. Hope will keep you warm, but you have to hold tight to it like a blanket around your shoulders so the gusts will tear right out of your hands. Hope will glow like embers, but you have to keep giving it oxygen. That's the thing about hope. You have to wake up and choose it every day. The best part is, with the one true hope, you don't have to wonder if it's a waste of time and emotional energy. It doesn't work like Hope is not angel feathers, or wishing on a shooting star, or tossing coins into a fountain. It's not lucky charms, or even bright-eyed optimism. It's not a blind shouting. The one true hope is a guarantee. A promise made by someone who can't lie. Our hope was in the beginning, is now, and evermore shall be. It's eternal, not fleeting. Hope came down from heaven in the form of a baby entering time and space. God and man united in the person of Jesus. When we choose hope, we're not planting a new stake in the ground. We're slipping into a rushing river current that has run through the ages and will carry us with all the saints who've come before to a shining city where there will be no need for hope. Because all the promises have at last come true. This Christmas, through Jesus, we have hope. Well, again, let me add uh, my thank you to all of you for coming tonight and being part of this. And Dan has already acknowledged uh, off the top um, just all the various people that are in the room and where we're all coming from. And I just want to make it super clear as we get into God's Word and as we've done everything that we're doing uh, here tonight that um, it's okay to be on the journey wherever you're at. It's okay to, at this point, not believe and yet to be here and thinking about these things. And tonight we're talking a lot about uh, hope, and I'm glad that we're here to acknowledge the birth of Jesus Christ and think about His birth as being something that brings hope to all of our lives and Christmas very much is about, as, as Jordan said in the worship package, it's about the, the big four. It's about the love of God radiating in our lives and the joy of Christ and the peace of God that comes to us. And it is about this hope that we're going to talk about for a few moments. We've spent the last month looking at each one of those, and we're ending our study, for those who have been here uh, all month long, ending our study with this look at hope. And what a great thing to talk about on a night like this, knowing that the light, Jesus, Jesus uh, himself being the light, will radiate hope into our lives, into the lives of those. We started this whole series looking at John's gospel, the very first uh, few uh, verses of it, 
It comes to those who have received him, who believe in his name. And it really is as simple as that. And we'll come back to that again before we finish. A good definition of hope is this. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for good things in the future. A confident expectation and desire for good things in the future. Now, when you think about that, two very important things emerge out of it. First of all, it's, um, it's future. We don't have it yet. It's, it's not something that we've already laid hands onto. We're waiting for it to come. And even though it has not yet been realized, and we often think about things in the future as being something, well, it might happen or it might not happen, the definition further tells us that it's a confident hope. And so those of us who believe in Christ, who have received him and believe in his name, this is a confident hope for us. It is as assured as anything in life. We fully expect to receive the thing that God has promised us. A confident expectation and desire for good things in the future. And so as we think about hope and we think about the nativity narrative from the Gospels, and if you know the narrative at all, there's various players that come in and out of the story. Uh, but I thought about the magi or the wise men as being those who best embody this idea of hope. And so I thought it would be great for us to read their story. This is in Matthew uh, chapter 2. And um, I'm going to just read these verses, and then we'll use that as a template to talk about hope. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The light, Jesus, radiates hope. And so you should look for it. You should look for it in the same way that these wise men, these magi, went on a journey to find hope. And the stark reality is that we live our lives, and the Apostle Paul used this phrase, we live our lives having no hope and without God in the world. There's no real hope out there. 
And in fact, if you think back to the last time we were together like this on a Christmas Eve, you think about all the difficult things, the hard things, the hard things to watch that have happened in this world, all the sorrow, all the pain, all the despair that people have fallen into as a result of things like terrorist attacks and and natural disasters. If you take it from the global scale and you bring it down personally, there's people in this room who, since we were last together like this for a Christmas Eve, have lost a loved one and this is the first Christmas without them or a relationship has broken out uh, and, and you're thinking about what might have been. That life this year is just harder than it was. And it can be easy in the, in the midst of all of that to simply just begin despairing of life rather than hoping for something better. It can be too discouraging for some to even start a search. And when you don't do that, when you, when you just say, you know what, I'm not even going to look for hope anymore. I'm just going to exist. I'm just going to try and, you know, exist and not look for anything better. Well, then you face a self-fulfilling situation where in in the midst of despair, you just throw your hands in the air. You decide there's no point in hoping for something better. And that despair leads to a deeper descent into darkness, the proverbial downward spiral into deeper and deeper darkness. And I think we would all agree, that's not a great place to be. And none of us would choose that for ourselves. Now, if you know the nativity story, then you know about these magi. You've just heard me read it again, and I'm not sure what you think about the story. Beyond it being, you know, that's kind of cool that these magi, whoever they were, made this journey to come and see the child. And it's much more than just a cool story, of course. But these men, just to understand who they were, they were wealthy, they were educated, they were politically connected, they were influential in the power politics of the day. And these very important people arrived in this very small town in Israel to give some gifts and to show some honor to this small child who was born to a very working class family. And so on its on its face, when you look at the story, you just go, well, that's kind of cool that they did that. Because we all kind of love that brush with celebrity, don't we? I mean, we love the stories of the Leafs when they go to sick kids and they visit all these children in the different wards and they sign autographs and they leave gifts and they take pictures with these kids. Or we love the story of Prince Harry, royalty. Who doesn't want to have a brush with royalty? And and he comes and he meets the wounded vets and he runs these Invictus games for them and sits in all the competitions and interacts with them. We love that kind of thing. Or I heard about this group of bikers who were making their way down a highway in New Jersey and they saw a fellow biker broken down on the side of the road. They stopped to help him and it was Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Everybody under 14 is like, who's Bruce Springsteen? (laughs) And they helped him on his way, and he took them all out to a bar, and they had a beer together. And that's just, you just think about it, and it's awesome. You have this little brush with celebrity. And really, in each of those little examples I gave, each of them, in their own little way, shows some hope. Hope that someone will help you when you're on the side of the road. 
hope that when you're a kid at sick kids or, or your child is there, that someone cares enough to come and to, to bring some hope to that situation. That those who fought in a war might be assisted by someone in a powerful position to influence a situation for good and help out the rest of the vets who came home injured and wounded. I mean, we love those little stories because they all have this little bit of hope. And when they pop up in our newsfeed, we like the story because we like what's going on there. And we're all looking for hope. But here's the challenge with that. That kind of hope has a shelf life. It doesn't last forever. And the kind of hope we're talking about here tonight is eternal hope. It lasts forever. It transcends this life. It goes on into eternity. And so it's far superior to anything this world could possibly offer. It's great to be charitable to one another. That definitely has a dividend in our lives, and I'm not trying to minimize that. But we're looking for something better, something that's going to last. And so these magi, this is a group that went back hundreds and hundreds of years, an identifiable group of powerful political influencers. In fact, you see them first in the book of Daniel, these, these wise men, these magi who advised the king. Daniel eventually would be numbered among the magi as a political advisor to the king. They read the stars, they studied science, they studied literature and language and religion and culture. They absorbed all they could from all the different cultures that were around them. And around that time, in the time of Daniel, 600 years before what we're celebrating here tonight, before the nativity, the Jewish people had been conquered by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and he had carried the best of the people back to Babylon in exile. And when the Jewish scholars and the best of the Jewish people arrived in Babylon, the Magi were like, yes, we're going to learn everything we can about the Jewish people. They began to read the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And along the way, they read this passage, Numbers 24, 17, which talked about a star, which they were super jazzed about stars. And it also talked about a king that when the star appeared, and they were super jazzed about being influential in politics. And so those two things coming together for them was more than they could possibly hope for. And so they studied this passage and they learned what it meant. And then they began to watch and wait. In essence, they were looking for it, looking for the fulfillment of this passage. 600 years passed, generation after generation waiting for the fulfillment. A whole generation of magi would say it didn't come in our lifetime, but then passing it on to the next ones. You guys watch. And that just kept going until one day the star appeared because they were looking for it. Back to our definition, see, this is hope. They had, these magi had a confident expectation and desire for good things in the future. And if you want it, you're gonna have to seek it just as they did. It's not just gonna fall in your lap. You have to seek this hope. You have to say, I want it. And when you find it, notice this next, choose it. When you find it, just say, like, I'm in, I'm in. I want this hope. I'm going to choose this hope 
for myself. And again, it's exactly what the Magi did. Now they saw the star, so they knew that this was a prophecy related to the king of Israel. And so unlike what you would see in most of the children's specials that depict this, the star only appeared to them and because it was a Jewish prophecy, they simply packed their bags and made their way to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the seat of power, the seat of religion, everything they wanted was resident in that city, so they just made their way. It isn't like the star moved in front of them, leading them, and they didn't know where they were going. They knew exactly where they were going. They were heading to Jerusalem, and it made perfect sense. It was just logic. If you're looking for a king who's going to be born, who's going to rule, you're going to go to the palace. So that's exactly what they did. They chose it and they made the journey to get to the capital city, to get to the palace and find out about the king that had been born. And so off they went. And when they got there, they inquired of the king, hey, tell us about the new king that's been born, which rattled him a little bit, but he brought the advisors in. He brought in the scribes. He brought in the priests. And he said to them, okay, are there any prophecies that relate to the birth of a king? And where's that king going to be born? Because these guys have just arrived here and I don't know about it. And they looked at Micah 5.2. And the verse said that the king would be born in the village of Bethlehem, which was just a short, just several kilometers away from Jerusalem. Now, these magi chose to make this long, arduous, costly, and dangerous journey from their homeland all the way to Israel to see the fulfillment of their hope with their own eyes because they had been waiting for it for so long. These non-Jews, non-chosen people have this hope and were pursuing it and choosing it for themselves as if God wanted us to be able to read this and see this and say, you know what, this is for everybody. This isn't just for the Jewish people. This is for everybody. And the same message is true for us today. There's not a person in this room who's beyond the reach of God, not a person in this room who can't have this hope for themselves. There is nothing, zero, nothing, that disqualifies a person from having this hope. Jesus offers it to all but you have to choose it. You have to make a move toward it to choose hope. And like the Magi, not just choose any hope. I have a hope. Or not just put it in temporal things that are going to disappear and this one kind of flames out, so I'm going to do this one. And No, I'm looking for this hope. This hope that is rooted in this child who was born, that's rooted in this child who lived and took on human flesh. This, this um, man who gave his life on the cross, who shed his blood for us and was resurrected on the third day after dying on that cross. And who's coming again for us. Each step of the way, the picture became clearer and clearer to them as they made different decisions to choose hope. As they gathered the information, they continued to walk their journey and choose to find that child. Paul writes this, or the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, back to the language of John 1, those who received him, who believe in his name, and it really is just as simple as that. There's nothing else you have to do beyond just calling out to him saying, I look for this hope, I found this hope, I'm choosing this hope. I want this to be my hope. 
Will you choose him this Christmas? Maybe you've been here for multiple Christmas Eve services. Maybe you've never actually made the decision for yourself. You get invited every year and you come, or maybe this is your first one. Maybe this is the year where you say, you know what? The gift that I want, that I'm going to receive, that I've been waiting for, that I need to have is the light of Jesus Christ in my life. And then you get all these other gifts, the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God. All of it comes as a result. Or maybe you will, at the very least, choose to start the journey. So, yeah, I'm not quite there yet, but I think I could take a step tonight to say, you know what, I'm, I'm in that first point still. I'm, I'm looking for it. I'm going to investigate it. I'm going to consider it a little bit more carefully. And Whatever hope you need to take here tonight, whatever step you need to take toward hope, take it, whatever it is. So look for it, choose it, and then finally live by it. After the Magi had taken the faith steps that they had based on the hope that they had, only then, so now they're in front of Herod, they ask the question, the answer is given, it's in Bethlehem. Only then did the star reappear, and now it seems to actually do some leading in front of them to guide them to the very house where Mary and Joseph were now living with their small child, Jesus, a toddler by this time. And their hope was really fulfilled in the moment that they went into that house and met with the child. Their hope came to a conclusion in that moment because it was fulfilled. It was no longer future for them. And in the last part of the reading that we looked at, there's several very interesting details about these magi that, that really shows us what happens when you choose this hope that really it affects your life, that things are not going to be the same from this moment on once you choose this hope for yourself. The first of these is that their lives would now be and forever subject to the word of God. Their decisions would be led by God, by his scriptures. Their sensitivity to God's will would be accentuated by their experience with him and God would lead them in very specific ways. You can see it in the immediate, right at the end of the reading. When they're prepared to go back, and they had it in their mind, we found him, we're going to go back to Herod and tell him because he said he wanted to come and worship them. Of course, that was not his motive, was it? He had no pure motives towards the child. In fact, he wanted to murder the child. And so sensitive were they to God's will and God's word that they received this dream and they went home a different way. It would be subject to God's word from this day forward. Uh, secondly, uh, they worshiped Jesus. Now, again, these were very influential, wealthy men who knelt before a small child. But just think about that picture for a second. I mean, there are parents in the room who are imperfect. That's all of you. <laughs> parents but who would be unwilling to go to their own children and apologize for doing something wrong because parents do things wrong. Last night, I actually got an amen to that from a child. <laughs> I was kind of hoping for that again tonight. <laughs> Awkward moment for the parents. <laughs> but if, if, 
just think about how, how spectacular this moment is, how stunning it is. If parents aren't willing to say, I was wrong, please forgive me, to their own children, imagine these influential, powerful men coming into this very humble house in this very little town in a foreign country and getting before a toddler and, and laying these extravagant, extravagant gifts before him and getting down on their knees and worshiping him and honoring him. It was such a great moment. And we need to worship him similarly, humbly, knowing that he's done so much for us. He's saved us. He helps us. He loves us. He's poured out such amazing gifts in our lives, not the least of which are the big four we've been talking about here. Who else is going to give you this kind of love or this kind of joy or peace or hope? And then to top it all off, we have to worship him because he's coming back for us. And just to have that hope in front of us, he's coming back. And whatever difficulty and challenges we're facing, he's coming back for us. And that's an awesome thought. And then finally this, they would be subject to God's word, they would worship Jesus, and they would be filled with joy. Now, if you want to have supernatural delight, not temporal happiness, Christmas is a lot about temporal happiness. I have no doubt that the turkey dinner I will consume will bring about a temporal happiness for me. <laughs> but I find that mere hours later, I am so unsatisfied with the turkey dinner that I'm craving turkey sandwiches. <laughs> Is that not true for you? Fresh white bread buttered with mayonnaise and nothing else, a little salt and pepper, that's it. No cranberry sauce. Okay. I've not really taking suggestions from the floor tonight, okay? You wanna preach next year, talk to the elders, but this is, it's kind of my gig right now, okay? So no cranberry sauce. What was I saying? All right, so I got lost in there. You see how it's unsatisfying? The next day I want turkey soup. You see how this goes? It's so unsatisfying. The gifts that we're going to receive, we will feign appreciation for every gift we receive. But even those that we want are only going to be temporarily satisfying to us. That's why we have to do it all over again next year. I want something more than that. I want something more than mere temporal happiness. I want a joy that is supernatural delight that comes from him. And these magi had it. When they saw the star and they knew it was all going to be fulfilled, it said that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And I want that. We can all have that. Now, I get that Christmas isn't all that, and we've, we've kept things very up here tonight. The music is being very uplifting, and, and we've had some fun here, and we've laughed a little bit, and I get that. And Christmas, to a large extent, is about that. But there's also a lot of sadness this time of year, isn't there? because you are remembering loved ones who aren't here this year. And you are recognizing that times have been difficult. And maybe there's some insecurity in front of you right now and you don't know what 2018 is even gonna look like. And yet in the midst of, here's the thing, that the people who have received Jesus and who will believe in his name, the thing that all of us have in common is this, no matter what is going on around us, no matter how difficult life is, inside, supernatural delight in God joy. Even if it doesn't seem like we're super happy and the circumstances don't 
really head us down that road? Joy inside that comes from Christ. And so these magi lived by this hope and their lives were being transformed as a result and they were secure because they had this hope. And it didn't come from inside of them, but it came supernaturally from God. It came from that small child who came and took on human flesh. And I love what R.C. Sproul said. And R.C. Sproul, one of the best top theologians of our uh, generation. And he just passed into the presence of Christ this past week. And he said this, we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. We're not not conjuring this up, up inside of ourselves. We are loved and filled with joy and at peace and have hope, not because we possess these things, not because we have a grip on Jesus, but because he has a grip on us. You need not do anything but receive him and believe in his name. What an awesome thing that would be for you to do this Christmas, to receive him, to believe in his name, to experience this Christmas, the light of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you need to invent. You don't need to conjure it up from within. The apostle Peter laid it out for us this way. Speaking of the living hope, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The light, Jesus, radiates hope this Christmas. Look for it, choose it, and live by it. Let me pray for us. Father, it is an awesome thing to be in this room tonight and to be thinking again about all that you have done for us. Especially, Father, we're focusing tonight on the birth of your son. The awesomeness of the nativity and and the gifts that you bring to us as a result. And we've already acknowledged that there are just a variety of people in the room and the coolest thing to think about is that you know every person, you know every situation, you know where everyone is at with you. So there doesn't need to be any wondering in this one-on-one moment as we're praying. Father, I pray that you would reach down to each one of us and, and move us all along to greater hope. But especially for those in the room, Father, who are not yet believers, who have not yet received Christ, do not yet believe in him, God, I pray that you would be tugging on them and pulling them closer to you this Christmas. Father, these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.